0: You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. How much do you know about the coronavirus vaccination? I know nothing at all, apart from the fact that the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, announced yesterday that it was being rolled out in February. February. Now that immunisation is on the horizon, I think it's time for an explainer on what we know and don't know about the vaccine. Associate Professor Paul Griffin is the director of infectious diseases at Mater Health in Queensland. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on, and in the middle of your holiday too. I really appreciate it.
1: <laughs> no problem.
0: Parents are fairly familiar with the standard vaccinations that their kids get. But these vaccines have been around for quite a while. What does it mean that this particular vaccine that's being rolled out in February has been developed in such a short period, comparatively speaking?
1: I think it's a really important point and important to consider that while COVID's only really been around for just over a year now, the vaccines that are in use now have been built on technology that's been under various stages of development for a long time. We had the the first SARS, which was very closely related to this virus, that was around almost 17 or 18 years ago. And all of the vaccines we're seeing in use now were really just developed from vaccines that uh, were made against that virus as well. And the other thing is we've got great technology these days that could readily be applied to this new virus. So While it has been quick, we haven't compromised any of the usual steps we'd take to know that a vaccine is safe and effective. So when these vaccines are approved, I'm as confident, if not more confident than ever, that uh, it's the right thing to do in terms of both safety and efficacy.
0: So if someone's worried about the fact that it's um, been developed so quickly, your comeback to that would be, well, we are more advanced than we were when SARS came through or when we came up with the vaccinations for um, mumps and measles and rubella.
1: Exactly. So much more advanced. And the other big point here is that we've never had the resources applied to an infectious disease in terms of what we've seen both financially and in terms of um, you know, scientific and, and medical research. And so you know, when we overcome a lot of the, the biggest hurdles of vaccine development, which is to try and seek funding uh, after the various stages of clinical trials, in this case We've had the the funding at the outset to go all the way through and we've also done something which is a huge gamble in terms of scaling up manufacturing even before we've proven the vaccines are are, are safe and effective in clinical trials so that when that did happen, we were ready to produce large amounts and again, that's a huge financial gamble um, that has paid off in this case because the front-running vaccines that we're hearing about did prove to be safe and effective and we're already able to manufacture really large quantities. So it's really been the application of uh, unprecedented amounts of funding that have enabled us to, to get to where we are.
0: All vaccines have a certain percentage of efficacy. How effective is this particular vaccine? Do we know?
1: So the, the two vaccines that are rolling out first um, are both based on similar technology and one of those is from a company called Moderna, one is Pfizer and in Australia we have an agreement with Pfizer so that'll be the first vaccine we see here and it's based on amazing technology that has demonstrated about a 95% efficacy in the clinical trials. So much more than we would need to have an impact and much more than we'd hoped for, in fact. And so, you know, one important thing to point out with this virus, while obviously it's causing you know devastation around the world, is very fortunately it seems to be one that we can generate a good immune response to from vaccination. So um, our vaccines are working really well.
0: The initial rollout is for the vulnerable and frontline health workers. Would this include children who are immunocompromised? Probably not
1: at this stage. There's been a lot of talk about why we don't test these vaccines on children at the outset. And and what we do, this is what the clinical trial process is designed to do, is we start with a very narrow scope of you know perfectly healthy adults, and we gradually expand the populations that are included in our clinical trials as we get more and more information the vaccine is safe. So in, in what we call the Phase 1 trials, the very first trials, they're typically people in a very narrow age range, about 18 to 45, with zero medical problems, and then as we go to phase two, we start to expand. Typically, we start to include elderly people. And the phase three, the last trials before we approve these vaccines, we do include some people that are immune compromised, but we still haven't included children. So it's not that we don't expect these vaccines to be safe and effective in children. We just haven't done those clinical trials yet. So they won't be in that first group, but the data is coming through and so they shouldn't be too far behind.
0: If you're a parent of a child who is immunocompromised, and you're, you've been desperate through this whole period to protect your child, would the next step be while you wait for the rollout for kids to ask those adults around them to get vaccinated, much like we would all get vaccinated for whooping cough when a new baby's born? Absolutely
1: right. So yeah, if we can get people, particularly people that inhabit the same household, or people that might spend prolonged periods of time with a child who's particularly vulnerable, that would be a really good strategy to try to get those people vaccinated as quickly as possible. But you know, the key thing here to remember too is, you know, the vaccine's not a silver bullet. It's not like we get the vaccine and we can stop doing all the other things it's really important to point out and you know particularly the case if you're uh, in close contact with someone who's immunocompromised is that things like hand hygiene and social distancing and having a really low threshold to get tested are still going to be really important and particularly if you're around someone who's vulnerable.
0: And do we know if there's any side effects?
1: Yeah, so all interventions, including vaccines, do have a risk of side effects. You know, I like to point out to people that there's a really small percent of the population that can have terrible side effects from over-the-counter things like paracetamol. And these vaccines are the same. They do have a, a rate of adverse events, but they are quite rare and mild and very similar to what we'd see with a majority of licensed vaccines. And so what that means realistically, and it's a little bit different with the different vaccines that are coming through, But some people will walk away from that vaccine with a sore arm for 24 hours or a little bit of redness at the site of injection. They might feel tired or they might even get a small fever. And, you know, we we know that's what people would expect with even things like the flu vaccine. And, you know, often that correlates with actually generating an immune response against what you've been vaccinated against. So I think it's very reasonable to expect that. But the, the key thing is that we're going to try and make sure everybody knows what to expect and that there'll be a good consenting process wherever people receive these vaccines and that people should seek the right information on the particular vaccine they might be getting, whether it be from their GP or whoever is their vaccine provider. But in short, yes, there'll be some adverse effects, but uh, the majority uh, are mild and and transient. And certainly it's been carefully evaluated that the benefits far outweigh
0: those risks. What about pregnant women? Uh, Again, that's a population uh, a
1: little bit like children and, you know, obviously a little bit difficult to... Study at the outset, to we're really confident in the safety of the vaccine that it's uh, the right thing to do. So there's some studies in pregnant women that are uh, commencing now or have uh, just started, and I'm involved in one of those studies at at our hospital where we're going to be vaccinating um, pregnant women. And you know, obviously, it's a great strategy because you not only protect the mum, but uh, that immunity is often passed on to the baby as well, so they get some protection for a period of time before they're able to get the vaccine themselves. So. It's kind of a two-for-one strategy, so a good one. But we we don't have a lot of data in that space yet. Again, we have no reason to suspect they won't be as successful and we have no reason to suspect there's going to be any safety problems. But we do need to wait for a little bit more data to come through.
0: You mentioned that um, this isn't a silver bullet and that we still need to follow protocols like washing our hands and and maintaining social distance, etc. Will this vaccine change how we are doing things now? So, for example, if a family gets vaccinated, if both parents get vaccinated, do you think they'll be able to travel more freely? Is it less likely we will have lockdowns? Uh, I'm wondering whether you can um, comment on that.
1: Yeah, sure. I think it's very reasonable to expect that we'll enjoy greater freedom when we start to see enough people vaccinated. And I guess the key there really is that the vaccine effectiveness is going to be determined by the proportion of people that get it. And if a lot of people sit on the fence and don't go and get it, well, then the impact of the vaccination program will be minimal. But if a lot of people get it, then, yes, definitely, we'll we'll see some greater freedoms, hopefully things like border restrictions will become far less uh, of a requirement and we'll be able to enjoy some more freedom but we'll still need some of those fundamental strategies like hand hygiene and social distancing and really high rates of testing until we get really high rates of vaccine coverage and we're sure the vaccine actually prevents transmission as well which is a point that is still evolving really in terms of our understanding of these vaccines.
0: So how long before we can get hugs back? I'm suffering here Paul.
1: I know. I mean, that's the key with with what we've had to go through, isn't it? Is that there's there's so many impacts at a personal level that are really hard to to gauge and appreciate at a, at a population level, and you know that that's something obviously that uh, a lot of people are, are desperate for, and hopefully if we if we get uh, high rates of coverage and we start to see the the virus really get under control, that, you know, at some stage this, this year, so in some stage in 2021, we can, we can start to relax some of those harsher restrictions w- when it's appropriate to do so. So maybe the second half of this year with any luck.
0: And do you think it will follow that international travel uh, will be able to happen again in the second half of the year? Because there's lots of families that have been separated from loved ones overseas.
1: Yeah, the the unfortunate reality there is I don't think that's going to happen freely this year. The the problem there is you not only need good rates of coverage uh, in our country, where people are leaving from if they want to visit overseas, but you need good rates of coverage in the destination and good control of the virus. And we're unfortunately seeing that most of the rest of the world at the moment is having a terrible time of it with you know thousands of new cases a day and even thousands of deaths per day. So until we get some of that under control in those other countries, it's going to be very hard for people to, to travel freely. And we know also that these vaccines, you know, they work really well, but they may not prevent everyone being able to get infected and still being able to transmit. It'll certainly reduce that, but it still might be possible. So if people were to travel this year, it's still very likely they'd be to go through the same quarantine process that's in place now.
0: Well, Paul, thank you so much for your time today.
1: It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: That's that's Associate Professor Paul Griffin. He's the Director of Infectious Diseases at Martyr Health in Queensland. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.